This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're revisiting this week a topic that we have entertained on several occasions, but there's some rather interesting new data points as a result of the recently completed election. Uh, The topic is the future of the Republican Party. Our guests are Tyler Montague, longtime Republican activist from Mesa, Kathy Petsis, former Paradise Valley uh, Republican Precinct Committee Chair, Paul Benz, pollster with Arizona High Ground. Welcome, all of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. I'm looking at the state of Arizona, and it looks to me like in the Republican Party, the Trump MAGA faction has been in control. Look at the people nominated to most offices. Um, they, uh, you know, Donald Trump proved that he had the muscle to get people nominated, the uh, but not to get them elected. That's the new piece of data, which we've been wondering about. So, uh, you know, over the over the spring and fall, early fall, it became evident that Donald Trump could get folks nominated. And the question was, can he get him elected? And by and large, the answer to the first question was yes. And to the second was no, uh, save a few cases in uh, districts or states that were so heavily read that anything after with an R after the name uh, was going to win. That once upon a time that included Arizona, it does not anymore. Now, the evidence of the uh, of the control of the party is not only the nominees. Uh, look at the list of folks who have been censured by the Republican Party. It it it, in, uh, it in includes Senator McCain now his wife. I, I think Stephen Richer, who was on last week, I think he's on that list now. Uh, sort of anybody who's not an election denier is a candidate. I, I'm looking at a couple of people here. I think they're they're candidates for. Uh, for future censure. Uh, so let's look at what happened in the last election. They were, it was, Arizona was about as clear cut as you could get. You had four Republican candidates, clearly MAGA candidates, Trump endorsed for the top four office, Senator, Governor, Secretary of State, um, Attorney General. Uh, they all lost. That's right. uh, all four other statewide Republican candidates, and I'm I'm talking about Superintendent of Public Instruction, um, uh, help me here, Treasurer, uh, Treasurer, and two Corporation Commission offices. Those four Republicans won, uh, and and that's not even counting Mine Inspector, which wasn't contested. I used to love that as the, that's I, I for years I talked about that is the baseline. For uh, of what the status of the parties is, because nobody knows who this these folks are, and whatever the Republican margin is in that election, that tells you something about the kind of the status and the virility of our party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, the generic ballot measure. Yeah, how yeah, much did the mine it's gener- generic Republican <laughs> if it's contested? Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, but and and because it was that, it's kind of pointless for a Democrat to run for it because they're going to lose by some predictable amount. Uh, so I, I mean, I think we have evidence of that. Uh, we're described as a purple state. That's a state that could go either way. But I think Paul will probably verify this. We're a state that a generic Republican probably beats a generic Democrat in a normal year by what maybe six points. Uh, somewhere around that range. It is. We're still a center right state. Definitely lean red, especially when you look at the down ballot races. But 
not a MAGA state. Was no, the, I think we have discerning voters who decided that that group that won in the primary, which was halftime, was mm-hmm. not going to finish the game. Mm-hmm. And if we had put forth candidates such as Karen Taylor Robeson, Bo Lane, and Andy Gould into the general, then we would be talking about a different mm-hmm. uh, scenario right now because all of those individuals would have won handedly. Last point I want, just want to make about the historical context of this election, uh, how extra, on a national level, how extraordinary this was as a Democratic victory, uh, not only an increase in the Senate, uh, but modest House losses, all of which are explicable by redistricting in Florida and New York. And Arizona as well, but the Florida and New York contributed the numbers. And this is the context. A, a presidential party first year after a presidential election loses historically an averages of 30 to 40 seats. So if you almost hold your own. Now, it did push the the meter over the over the 50 percent point. So the Republicans take the House, but not by anywhere near the margin that was expected. So my question to you, that's all. By, by, oh, well, a lot, additional like, context is yeah. record inflation as well. I yeah. mean, this should have been a blowback. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that even adds to it. This, this, it would be something that would have been expected for the Republicans to overperform the average, like twenty ten. Yeah. So my question to you: It's a long setup, but the question to you: Does this infuse some comma sense into the MAGA uh, faction? Or are they impervious to this, Kathy? Well, I believe that remains to be seen. I It seems from the social media posts that we see and the um, unforgivable rhetoric that is going on about the hundreds of thousands of illegal votes cast, etc., that they are not reading the tea leaves very well. And they're not understanding reality of this vote. And the one thing that's consistent when we talk about this nationwide is Trump. Trump loses. He did it in 2018. He did it in 2020. Now he's done it in 2022. Do we really want to continue on this losing path towards 2024 for people like us that can read the tea leaves and feel pragmatic in what our options are? I would say no. Uh, Trump's biggest fans may may soon be in the Democratic Party who, who view him as a, a vehicle to continued electoral success. Tyler? That certainly worked out for Democrats <laughs> this round. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, th- I think that losing um, had had all these candidates won or a good share of them, I think it would have continued on. But I am starting to hear, and you can see it in some polling. I'll let Paul talk about it. That people don't want to lose. And all that Trump is leading to is losses. And all these candidates had the exact problem you described. To win the primary, you had to repeat the uh, election conspiracies and and check off every item on Trump's list. And for those very same reasons, you lost the general. Well, it is it, not the winning it, formula. It, let me present to you a problem with that. I think the elect, Republican elected leaders know this. But a lot of their followers really believe this stuff. And well, that's true. The problem is you can still fill your uh, you know rooms full of screaming fans that believe this, and and I think that happened to Carrie Lake and and others. They got themselves in a bubble. But 
there is a decisive number of Republicans in Arizona. I'd say it's between 100 and 200,000 that are more discerning and they want off this ride. And they, you can't win a statewide election by you know, co-branding yourself with Trump, the election conspiracies, being an anti-vaxxer, telling moderates to uh, uh, ship out that you, you drove we the state through you. the yeah. McCain machine. <laughs> and also another stupid thing that they did was to negate a longtime Republican advantage in early voting. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. You, you, the votes come in and you can see every day who voted and then you can focus your resources on driving out those who haven't voted yet. That's going to be hard to restore. Yeah. Well, you can't do it when they all believe the that it's fraud and they only turn out on the day of and you, that's it. You get one crack at it. I mean, that factor alone right there could explain the, the losses. So um, they really um, stepped in it. We will return in just a moment uh, and uh, continue this discussion of the future of the Republican Party when we return in the Think Tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're talking with uh, about the future of the Republican Party. Our guests are Tyler Montague, Kathy Petsis, and Paul Bentz. Uh, Tyler, I want to start with a question to you. Normally... When a party loses an election, and this was, I think we all agreed by any reasonable stand, this was a Republican bath relative to any reasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. When a party loses, they usually go pragmatic. There's an additional factor, which is in this instance, what's out in the Twitter sphere is this election, like the last one, was sto- we really won this by hundreds of thousands of votes that were, you know, came out of nowhere and, uh, um, and, and cheating beat us. Now, if you were only beat by cheating, then you don't have to go pragmatic. And the argument that we ought to have more mainstream or centrist kind of traditional conservative Republican candidates, um, that falls on deaf ears if you think you just got the only reason you lost is cheated. You didn't lose because of candidates. So all these people are learning from Trump. That was the tool Trump used to hang on to power over the party after his election. If he just lost because he alienated people, he's just a loser. But if he was cheated out of it, he can generate anger, and anger is a... And money. And, and money. Yeah, they <laughs> generate a lot of money uh, here at the state level. And that's that's turns into political energy that you can harness and use it to control. The problem is you can't harness and generate enough of that to win an election anymore. And I am seeing anecdotally, and I think we'll start to see it show up in polls, that, you know, true believer Trump voters, but that are more pragmatic, they want to win. And they are starting to realize that campaigning on election fraud conspiracies is not a winning path. And they want to get away from that. And they love Trump and they you know appreciate what he did, but they would love to see DeSantis or somebody else rise up and and get back to the winning ways. Maybe ask Paul to comment on this, and I want to uh, introduce that by a little <laughs> factoid of a poll that I saw reported. Uh, national poll, it was done several months before the election and and then right around the time of the election, and it asked Republicans the following question. It said, do you identify primarily with the Republican Party or primarily with Trump? And that number in each case, was about two to one, but in the last several months, it's flipped. It was two to one Trump. It is now two to one 
uh, Republican Party. Is that a harbinger? And and what did, to what extent do your numbers in the state of Arizona validate or conflict with that? Well, uh, we've said, talking about the primary, that Trump is good for a reliable 30 to 40 percent of the Republican primary electorate. Blake Masters won with about 40 percent of the vote. You saw Kerry Lake do a little bit better than that. But then down ticket, Fincham won with 42. Hamaday won with 33. Uh, that's the segment of the electorate that he has got the chokehold on that he controls. It is also a sizable enough of portion of the party to change their voting behavior. About only 58% of Republicans voted early in this election, which is down significantly, especially when you compare it to Democrats. 72% of Democrats voted early. That is a massive gain that you're giving to Democrats that Republicans used to dominate. Republicans for years prior to 2020 dominated early voting. It is that loyalty to Trump and that doubt that you talked about. I mean, if we're just talking strategically, that's a bad strategy. Uh, RNC chair Rona uh, McDaniels just said, we can't expect to get it all done in one day. That's the, so suddenly they are starting to see the light on early voting. So it's more than just the well, loyalty. I also think of one other aspect about early voting is if you have somebody vote early, you have that vote with 100% certainty. Right. And it's done. On election day, amongst a group of people, 100% of whom intend to vote, a lot of them, but not all of them will vote. Stuff happens. But I, I mean, just using pure numbers, Rachel Mitchell beat Julie Gunnigal 53 to 47 percent. Kimberly Yee beat Martin Quezada 55 to 44 percent. I mean, uh, 84,000 vote victory for Republican in Maricopa County, 283,000 vote victory for Yee. Kimberly Yee got 118,000 more votes than Carrie Lake. That is a massive number that doesn't speak to fraud. That speaks to crossover appeal of folks that couldn't bring themselves to vote for Carrie Lake, which speaks to the candidate quality. That's the wake-up call that these Republicans should be looking at is we're on the wrong side of this early voting issue. Uh, our polling shows that banning early voting is incredibly unpopular. Uh, Kelly Ward just filed another lawsuit to try to go take another bite well, at that apple. When- Eighty-five percent of the people are voting early. <laughs> they're voting with their. They're they're telling you how popular that is. Fifty-eight percent of their own party for Pete's sake voted early. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 the, they're on the wrong side of that issue, and giving the power to the legislature to overturn our election results also incredibly unpopular. The the denialism that has pervaded is what harmed these Republicans. They they have to get away from it. Republicans won when they were ahead in the early voting in the past. It wasn't until there was that doubt sowed into the, you know, the postal system and everything starting in 2018 and what early ballots were doing that all of a sudden the tide started turning in Arizona for Republican success. They not only won, they dominated. Yeah. I mean, and 85 percent. We've had prior to 2016, independents were the largest registered group in the state of Arizona. Once that presidential election, you realized you had to be of a party to to vote in the presidential preference. Republicans came out on top. In Maricopa County, independents are back to being the largest party in the state. And we'll see. I think Republicans have about a 30,000 vote right now. Advantage, 30,000 registration advantage. Uh, Republicans used to know how to talk to independent voters. And they seem to either forgot how or don't care to. I mean, that's the bigger thing that I'm looking at when we look at all of this data. When you're bringing Bannon in three times in the last 10 days, you are abandoning independent voters. That is a sure sign that it's not just abandonment. You're kind of like, you know, putting the 
the sign-up of don't even come here to vote for me. Combined with the fact that in the last two cycles, 2020, Trump went to Lake Havasu City and Buckeye and the Far East Valley, did not try to compete for a single swing voter or a single place that had independence. And then you saw them take that strategy again. What they did in this last cycle was more of a suppressive strategy. I don't think they cared if a single independent voted for them. They just didn't want them to vote for their opponent. That's a losing strategy long term. Paul, you're assuming they thought through and like had a strategy. <laughs> no strategy. I am assuming that. I think they just emoted this, uh, you know, we hate rhinos and, uh, you know, we hate uh, immigrants and we uh, hate masks and vaccines and we think the election is stolen. And Tell me how they this were is able the, to brand This is themselves. the subtraction strategy of election victories. It uh, usually doesn't work out. <laughs> it doesn't work out. And you know, winning candidates have winning messages to winning electoral majorities. So when you're campaigning on getting rid of things that are popular, like mail-in voting and all that, it's, you're just you're that's campaign malpractice. The party has been wanting to boil it down so much and have these purity tests that you think that their slogan is "win with less," and, and all they found out is that they lose with less. Well, what's interesting and what we'll pick up after the break is that is exactly what usually doesn't happen when you lost. Sometimes when you win, you go for purity, you try to get through more and more of your program and you can afford to do a little bit of that. But when you're losing, as I said, parties usually get pragmatic, but you got this additional dynamic of the fact that this is being driven now more bottom-up than anything. Anyway, we will return after the break, and we'll talk about more of the issue of how how you change. I I think the folks at this table would like to change this dynamic. How do you do it? The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We have uh, we're here with uh, Tyler Bontag, a Republican activist from Mesa. Kathy Petsis, uh, Paradise Valley former Republican precinct committee chair. Paul Bentz, pollster with Arizona High Ground. Uh, I think in the first half of the show we kind of diagnosed the lay of the land, the situation. I I think most of you at this table would like to uh, change this and uh, reassert more of uh, what we would call a traditional conservative base in the Republican Party. I think a lot of what we talked about is why that's going to be difficult. Tyler, how do you do it? First of all, it's sad that somebody like John Kyle, okay, who for me is the prototype excellent conservative, probably couldn't win in this environment. At least be a rhino. Well, be a I rhino. mean, Jeff Flake was cut in his mold, and he was chased out. Yeah, Jeff Flake was extremely conservative. You look at his voting record, it, and uh, but you know, if you don't kneel to one guy, you're a rhino. It was, it was a cult thing. It really wasn't ideological. Very he, cult. He did not. He did not want to participate in the cult. He actually yep. though voted for all of Trump's policies. He was well. He, was pretty he much would on say when he was there that those are conservative, you know, mainstream, long running Republican mm-hmm. governance. So it wasn't you know for people to brand everything they liked it's for Trump. that area. As Trump is a mistake, I think. Well, but no, Trump, right. Trump, the Trump folks have co opted, I think, the term <clears throat> conservative and and redefined it. It's not by any traditional definition, but they kind of have a lock on the brand for that. No, well, totally. Well, they it's it only means to them fealty to one person. Yes, it's cult of personality. Mm-hmm. 
it that which is not a conservative. Of course not. But 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 I'm, I'm talking about as a you know no, Paul was as a brand. Right. I think they they fair. Well, fair I, I, think, uh, I think that's fair. But uh, you know I mean they're not conservative. I mean they want to overturn the Constitution. They want to empower the legislature to have the power to overturn election results. Time and again they've been given opportunities to be conservative, and at last they are not. Yeah, that, that's it's, not it's a, really it is what authoritarian, they are. not conservative. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I interrupted your train of thought there. Well, no, I how do you forgot? What I we mean, well, about. we're talking about how, how, given this lay of the land, what do you do? Because I think if it's going to happen, it's going to be folks like like the folks at this table. Yeah, they need to. They need to. I, I, I see it. Trump fractured his loyalty in two ways. One, uh, he was in primaries endorsing people. And you had loyal Trump voters that were fans of maybe Karen Taylor Robeson and Trump endorsed them. So that that just damages your bond with mm-hmm. people when you're when you're uh, endorsing candidates uh, and opposing people. And then he lost. And uh, there's a lot of pragmatic people that say, I don't want to lose. So those two things uh, have have started to erode his popularity because part of his popularity was that he that he won and it was you know bringing victory to these people so that's that epiphany needs to just continue and i think we need to reverse and, and take instruction from people who won uh connect with people through issues connect with people through issues that are winning issues that mm-hmm. that majorities of voters believe in and get back our advantage on on mail-in voting um, you know, a longer That's term. tough to do because is, you've sown the seeds of suspicion that there's somehow, I don't know, the well, post office is in on this or I something. I think we've all learned that, that and the people that truly believe that are completely impervious to data. I've tried to well, explain it and right. you just cannot. You know what I just them. thought of? There, there's a, a, and I'm a social scientist by trade. There was a famous article some decades ago called When Prophecy Fails and it was about what happens? You've got a cult, and and they're, the leader is predicting that some event is going to happen, rapture or something. Anyway, it doesn't happen. The date passes, and the question becomes: What happens to the believers? And the answer is that they don't disbelieve; they double down. That and, and, and that feels like where we may be. Okay, now now I know why. <laughs> Another aspect of a cult is they're afraid they're going to be injured or some danger is going to befall them if they leave the cult. I mean, that's mm-hmm. another key indicator. And certainly we've seen Republicans that are afraid to be perceived as outside uh, the cult. But to Tyler's point, I think one of the big things is Republicans knew they do, they do polling, look, and they know that their their position on abortion was not popular when it comes to criminalization. They knew that their position on early voting is not popular, and then they doubled down on that. What they have to do is find these issues that they're on the right side of and start better pursuing those. One great example is public schools. We have to stop demonizing public schools. It is part of what has made this country great, and they, they spend their time – uh, attacking them. Instead, they should be talking about uh, what public schools and, are doing. And isn't, and for example, in terms of base, isn't it true that it's something north of 90 percent 
of people send their kids to public school. 84. 84? Yeah. And then the other thing is we need to think about how our primaries are conducted. I don't know if that's one of the things that we're going to touch on, Mike, but these primaries Fair that game. reward narrow audiences is why this vocal minority who has time on their hands, biggest thing about these supporters is they have time to go to every Cary Lake rally. They have time to watch Fox News. Uh, the folks that don't have time are the majority of our electorate, but they're busy and don't have that passion. We can't let this vocal minority continue to drive our primary discussion. It's creating such split audiences that it's very difficult for anybody to navigate. Well, not only to get elected, but to problem solve, because these people cannot govern. They are beholden to the extremes of right or left. Okay, they're beholden to extremes of their party and they can't make a decision that displeases that that segment of their party because they have to go through uh, uh, a primary and you know well, that's part of what I find disturbing in in a lot of the discussion it's a rejection of expertise uh, that, we, that, uh, that in your credential I, I've had nothing to do with government ever you know and, and that is somehow seen as a positive thing well, they clearly if you believe all these election fraud conspiracies you are rejecting evidence data expertise mm-hmm. uh you know, a large subset of those people are suspicious of vaccines and it's, you know, what is it, epistemology? That is that is the problem of our day, determining what truth is and what, you know, discerning well, it from garbage. And that is something that problem. has taken a fall in the polling and it and it, it applies to most of our institutions. It's it's the Supreme Court, the Congress, even the military, even the level of confidence in almost all of our major institutes, electoral processes, is has taken a, a huge hit, and that is troublesome for because a lot of that is the underpinnings of democracy. If you fundamentally don't believe that the system is fair, um, it can you know a. A, a proposal to well, let's just get, do away with the Constitution. Let's, you know, that's uh, crazy. Well, and, and to what Paul was talking about, look at look at this issue of the Dreamers. Uh, they're trying to maybe do something in Congress. Well, poll after poll shows a large percentage of Americans, including deep into the Republican Party, support that. Why can't they get it done? Why can't they get it done? Well, it's because. Uh, I guarantee you there's a lot of Republican support, but they're afraid of going through that primary process where they're going to be attacked by someone further to the right of them. And so they aren't able to govern because we're they're hamstrung by our selection process. So a longer term fix is to fix the selection process. I think, uh, you know, it could be ranked choice or there's a lot of other ways. But I think the key reform would be that every candidate needs to face the entire electorate. At every round of voting, and then you would see people selected more like city councils. City councils are famous for being popular with the electorate and being able to problem solve. Polling polling we've done over the years always showed elected city officials at the top of the heap in terms of public officials. Local government is incredibly much more popular. Right before the election, we Mm -hmm. saw the direction of the state at an all-time low. It was only about a quarter of the electorate Mm -hmm. thought the state was heading in the right direction. And our approval ratings for these partisan candidates very rarely gets above 40%. Most local Mm -hmm. governments have 
50, 60 plus percent approval ratings and their local elected officials not only solve problems, but get along. Um, and that speaks to the way that those elections are conducted. For lack of a better term, those are open primaries. Everybody competes together on the same system and then the highest vote getters and, move on. And uh, that's something we should definitely And I would point out that in the legislature, when, when a legislature meets in a party caucus, if you did that in a city with a city council, it would be a violation of the law. Very true, mm-hmm. and and it and it works out pretty well. I think it's one of the reasons that you know. So in effect, you get a majority of the council together. It better be publicly noticed. And uh, well, and city councils yeah. aren't afraid to vote yes on something that sixty five percent of the voters support. Mm-hmm. But you have that happening now, and so we can't solve some of the most intractable problems out there. And it's because of this selection method. We'll be back. Our final concluding section when we return in uh, just a moment in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Paul, uh, you mentioned we're, we're back here with uh, uh, Paul Bentz, Kathy Petsis, and Tyler Montague talking about the future of the Republican Party. You see uh, a alteration in the system, the electoral system. As as key to this, and and I think Tyler put it this way as well. Uh, we need a system whereby candidates have to face the entire electorate at every phase of the election process, which would be the end of partisan primaries. Would have open primaries, right? Describe a little bit of what a system like that would look like. Well, first of all, and it's, it's, a, and it's been done in some states. So. Absolutely, there's a, a variety of different. Uh, formats out there. But I think one thing to bear in mind, if you live in the state of Arizona, it's pretty likely that you voted in this type of system already because the way the large majority of city councils and other municipalities are elected, everybody runs together on the same ticket together in the same election. They have the same signature gathering requirements, and then you run, and then the two highest vote getters generally go to either a runoff or a general election, depending on how it's divided. There's other versions of this. Uh, Alaska just recently did, had the top four. I like the the, the Alaska system. So, I want to hear about, as you said, top four. And here's kind of the theory. In the primary election, a lot of time people haven't focused very much on the candidates. You can have a jungle primary with 18 candidates and you can understand why that would be the case. And you can't learn everything about 18. So something that filters it down to a manageable number and hence four. Now, with four, you do want to end up with a majority. And that's where ranked choice comes in. You can't do ranked choice with 18 candidates. It simply doesn't work because you have to. Nobody's going to give you their 17th choice. You know, but with four, <laughs> with four, you know, with four candidates, yeah, the political junkies can. You could, I could, maybe, but, but the, but with four candidates, you can have some impression of each of them. So that's a nice, reasonable number. And if nobody gets a majority, the fourth place votes drop out and get reassigned to the second choice of those voters. That allows voters who want to cast an expressive vote, say they're libertarian or something like that. They don't have to make a strategic choice of, do I want to vote for the lesser of two evils is my second choice, or do I want to vote for the person who really uh, expresses my values? You go ahead and do the latter, knowing that when that person comes in fourth, if they come in fourth, 
your vote is not going to be lost. It's going to be reassigned to your second choice. And that seems to me to be a decent hybrid of the system that worked pretty well there. Uh, It also strategically, if you think about it from a candidate's perspective, it gives you a broader audience to talk to. We just talked about this 30 Mm percent of the Republican electorate. That's what Trump gets you. Your loyalty to Trump gets you that. So it's very scary Mm-hmm. to not go for that easy audience. Republicans can win a primary without it, but it's a lot more difficult. Um, we'll see. The, the, it gives you a broader audience to appeal to. You can cobble well, together your own. It's 30% of 40%. So that's right. like you're talking to like an eighth of the electorate. Right. But, and, but an eighth yeah. of the electorate that can currently control the process. I'll give yeah. you a great example, right. though. We were working on a, on an issue that was very popular. It was a countywide measure. Uh, and we talked to a Republican official, and they said, well, my people don't support it. And he said, Actually, it passed in your district. It passed with more than 60% of the vote. He goes, well, those aren't the people that vote in my primary. And it just speaks to they aren't focused on their overall electorate. A lot of these individuals, and it's both sides. It's both sides of the aisle, mind you, are beholden to if they're in a safe Republican district or in a safe Democratic district, they only really care what happens to them in the primary. Well, and the other thing that all of these things, variants of this do is Let's say you are in a district that is very heavily in the of the other party. You don't have a meaningful vote, but under a system like this, you do. You may have to choose the lesser of two evils amongst two candidates who are of the other party, but you get to cast a meaningful vote. Right now, if you are down, if you're in a 60-40 district and you're in the 40, your vote isn't going to count. You'll vote for somebody who will lose every time. And in some cases, you may not even have a choice on the ballot, mm-hmm. which is disenfranchising to some mm-hmm. people when they can't. Be- they have no vote because, because there's the par- no one. The party there to field. that is in the forty percent doesn't bother to run right. a candidate. They don't Nobody. field anyone. And- What's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one other thing is just thinking about independent and unaffiliated voters. Republicans and Democrats, for that matter, seem to only care whether or not you're registered of the party. But a third of our electorate choose not to do that. They should not be castigated for that. They should be approached and communicated with. And what we find right now is the system is set in a way that those both parties don't seem to care about independence until the very last minute. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, I got an extra seat at the table. Do you mind coming and, mm-hmm. and voting for me? Um, recognize that our system does have these independents and that they are an important part of it is something that either party could successfully do and be, and win. Kirsten Cinema recognized that in 2018 and was very effective with that. We saw Mark Kelly's campaign do that pretty effectively as well in back-to-back cycles. It's something that, for for whatever reason, Republicans just do not seem to be interested in the party talking dynamic, to those the, the primary dynamic, right? If they don't get the nomination, that... That isn't going to matter. Right. And independents only make up something less than 15 percent of total primary voters. And that's because they have a significant barrier to participation. Mm-hmm. They have to pick which ballot. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a different system. And, and a lot of them simply they identify as independents and therefore picking up that ballot of either party kind of runs against their self-identification. Right. You're forcing them to act like a party. And, that's, and they don't want to be. That, that's exactly party. what they don't want. So if you if we could give them the option to maybe choose the Republican primary in the governor's race, and the Democratic primary in the secretary of state's race or something, maybe they but would I, participate. I think more. you're proposing something where they don't have to pick at all. Correct. I think that's probably the choice. If you want more independent voters to vote, if you want more independent candidates to run, they need an even playing field. Tyler? No, I completely agree. I completely agree. If you and think about it, if you live in AOC's district and you're a Republican, you're irrelevant. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but if you had the choice to, to pick second choices, you would do that. Uh, look at um, uh, uh, Murkowski in uh, Alaska. Mm-hmm. She voted for impeachment. That would have been a, a death sentence. She in, can't in win any, a primary. You yeah, cannot get through the primary. primary. You went against the, the you know most popular person. Well, guess what? A majority of her electorate supported doing that. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to – it's more representative. She was able to do that and not get hammered. In the, you know, she was supported in her election because she was doing what the majority of the voters wanted to do. Now, Paul, you, we, you've shopped us. Um, yeah, go ahead, Kathy. Go I was going to say you touched on actually too the thing that I think is a selling point for this is that we need representative government, and we do not have representative government right now when we have factions and extremists who carry many of these seats right now, especially down at the state legislature. I'm a little concerned of what kind of policy we get through. If you have only on either side an extremist policy going through, you're, you're you know, spiking the ball at the wrong goal. And where you want to spike the ball, ball on, on policy is at the 50-yard line because that's representative of your electorate. Kathy, you know how I helped run Prop 308, which was for the Dreamers to get in state tuition. You know Absolutely. how many times I heard from elected Republican officials, oh, man, I hope that wins. Oh, you're going to support it? Oh, I can't. Yeah, I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. oh, yeah, it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. A and um, it's a majority, again, a majority proposal that is a minority, and particularly Republican primary. You've got Republicans are one, but a, an even more select group is Republican primary voters. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the voters the do the get it side. right every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So there were no mistakes in the outcomes of what happened here in 2022 in Arizona. We got the results that were set up for this situation. You all um, in at High Ground had all this polling coming out well before that said the longer the big lie lives, the greater the loss in the general. And no one listened to it until after the primary where the big lie was still part of the message and demanded out of you know, out well, of part, Trump. Part of the hubris of the it. people that are willing to believe or repeat the big lies that they don't rely on evidence and mm-hmm. and data and, and they ignore that. Let me ask you, Kathy, are, is, are you are you feeling a difference since the election? Have, have, has this changed people's thinking? People will be coming around. It's going to be difficult because people, as we've said here today, leaned into this so hard. So there is hubris in it. There is a little bit of shame of, geez, we really got it wrong. And so we'll see if they have any sort of self-awareness on this. I'm not hopeful, but I'd like to be hopeful. But right now, those leaders that um, are likely that could become, let's say, the Republican Party chairman, I I think we have another term of of sort of biting our fingers. Well, wh- Kelly Ward looks like do. she's out. The question is, is she replaced by a clone or by somebody from right now? Faction? I think you have more clones available mm-hmm. because these elections are determined really in August. Mm-hmm. So it might be another term before we um, reclaim our party mm-hmm. to the conservative party that it was in the past um, of winners. Pragmatists. 
pragmatists one and winners. Forum winners. Are, okay, last thoughts, Paul. You got 20, 30 seconds. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, it's going to take a while because Republicans let it grow wild. It used to be the Maricopa Republican Party was kind of the one that was out on the in fringes. Now it's pretty much all of them. It'll be take a while for them to come back to being a little bit more manageable and more strategic. Tyler? No, I agree. And it would be nice to have some uh, effort to step up to take back control of the party. So that really actually represents Republicans and not just this fringe group that has hijacked. Kathy, last word, about 15 seconds. I would say that we all saw the damage that party leadership had. It was unprecedented. They put their thumb on the scale in the primary. We had a well-funded auxiliary group with TPUSA also doing that. We had the former president doing it. We did not have strategic leadership. That's the last word. Won't be the last word on the topic. I'm Mike O'Neill. You can reach me at mikeoneill.org and uh, that uh, website will have links to email and, and social media and the rest. See you next week in the Think Tank.